This is the Self-Taught or Not podcast with Dylan Israel and Eric Hanchett, where we teach you the do's and don'ts of software development from two software development professionals, one self-taught and one not. This episode is brought to you by Talk Python Training. The Self-Taught or Not podcast is all about leveling up your career in the tech space and learning software development the right way. Python is one of the hottest languages at the moment, and you don't need a CS degree to be part of this excitement. Our friends over at Talk Python Training have nearly 200 hours of professional grade online Python courses. If you want to learn Python for about the price of a book on your own, just visit talkpython.fm self-taught to find your next level. That's talkpython.fm self-taught. It'll also be in our show notes at self-taught. Or not.com. Thanks. All right. Today we have a very special episode. We are talking about, well, we're going to actually talk about a lot of different things. This is a question and answer episode. I have gone through and found some questions from different places, some on Reddit and a few other places, some viewers, and I put them all together in a document. And I thought it'd be fun that me and Dylan will just go through these one by one. I don't know how long this 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 will take. This could be a shorter episode, but I thought, uh, yeah, it might be fun just to answer some of these questions and give our thoughts to it. What do you think, Dylan? Yeah, and I think some of these questions we might have uh, talked about glancing over the list, but it's always good to, you know, circle back on them and see how sometimes our opinions have changed as we have grown and matured. I think sometimes, you know, we're not politicians. We don't have to you know, not be flip floppers. It's okay to flip flop. It means that you learn. So we'll see. We'll see how this plays out. Yes, sir. That's true. Okay. Let Let's start. I'm gonna just go ahead and read this off to you, and I'll let you. Let's uh. Let's see if you can take the first one. All right. This is from Yellow Boar. I just graduated in December with my CS degree. I had a good GPA, but no internships or whatnot. What would be the best use of my time if I would like to try and land a full stack position? Currently, my plan is to do a leap code problem or two a day while working through a web dev course, but there are just so many courses out there. I don't know how to pick. Any advice would be appreciated. Yeah, so my first instinct with this is to, um, you know, for people who are doing a CS degree program, if you're asking this question after you graduated, you're messing up. This is definitely something you need to have an answer to easily you know the semester before you graduate if not you know the the time you start your senior year you should not be figuring out how to succeed with your degree after you got it you can definitely be much more proactive with it i think the studying of data structure problems and algorithms with what he's doing with the leak code is obviously a, a foundational interview skill but i also think that the uh going and trying to get an internship would have been a much better use of his time uh earlier on but other than just prepping and applying, like that, just have the mentality that applying full time is really your job. And I don't think, you know, even the way that this is currently doing a leak code problem a day or two sounds very sort of nonchalant. It's sometimes I think there's a little bit of burnout that happens when people just graduate because they just hit this huge milestone and they want to stop. And I kind of get the feel from this question, but just got to power through till you go and land that first role. Yeah, I would say the same thing. Your job should be trying to find a job and just trying to power through it. I, I like what you said, Dylan, about internships. I would say the same thing. Like, did he not have a chance to get an internship? 
was an unavailable. Granted, I have heard from some grads that getting internships are really hard right now. <laughs> maybe it's COVID. Maybe it's just they have lots and lots of people trying to get internships. So maybe you tried. You know, it's not. There's no shame too of just going to a, like a local company in your town. It may not be prestigious, but just trying to get a, a part time job during the summer or even while you work. I worked. I worked and did school at the same time. I mean, if you can get it with, you know, something to do with, with computer science or you know, like a programming job at a web development place making $7 an hour, I think that's going to help you in the long run too. I also, I would say, as for like web dev courses, I think it really depends on who you're targeting. If you're looking to join a FANG type company or like a big company like Amazon or Facebook or Google, yeah, doing leak code problems are a good idea. But if you're targeting more of a smaller a company in your local town, maybe you don't need to use to learn leak code. So maybe that's just you need to go over the basics of web dev and, you know, use some of the resources there, which uh, I think we have another question that asks about some resources. So we won't get into that here. But... All right. Well, let's go to the next question. And uh, let me read it. Hello, just getting started at the business. And I was wondering, for clients with tight pockets, at what price breakpoint in average is it ethical to sell the customers basically a template website with changed fonts, images, colors for both proper websites built in something like Laravel, Vue, React, etc., and for websites built with CMSs? Um, yeah, I'll take this and then I'll see what you think, Dylan. This is kind of interesting because I've done a little bit of freelancing back in the day and I think Dylan has too. And working with clients is sort of an art form. In some ways, you need to really find out what they're trying to achieve and how you can help them. But you shouldn't think of, it's, it's this only took me an hour, therefore, you know, I can only charge them $10. Or this was just really easy for me, I should charge them less. What you should do is how much value are you bringing them? Uh, if you make them this website and they can make tens of thousands of dollars, and you're bringing a lot of value to them, I think that's worthy of a um, higher price point. Not You shouldn't necessarily think of it like, well, this was easy because I just used a template off the, off the shelf. You could be like, what kind of value did I bring them? Maybe you bought the best template ever. Maybe it took you a few hours to configure it exactly to their needs. I mean, that's fine. So you should charge um, what you think you're worth. And I always suggest that people look at what people in this industry are charging and then I would charge more. I would charge more than what most people are charging because a lot of people undercharge, especially if you're first starting a business. A lot of people think, well, I can't charge more than $20 an hour. I can't charge more than $50 an hour. I always think, you know, what kind of value can you bring to the business? Can you justify that value? And I would charge a little bit more. Now, I'm not saying gouge people. Don't do that. Like you don't want to, you know, charge $700 an hour or something. Maybe there's very unique situations, but charge what you think you're worth, and I would try to be worth that that amount of money. Yeah, and I I think there's two parts to this question. One is feeling comfortable with charging, like you know, I charge around 150 dollars an hour for consulting work, and that's it's a a a respectful rate, but like it's not because my hour is any more than 60 minutes or like the intensity. It's because I've spent thousands of hours studying and learning and working. And, you know, you have to, you have to respect 
the it's the the time it's not that they're paying me for that hour they're paying me for the thousands of hours to get to a point where i can solve their circumstance in an hour or in whatever it is um the other thing is i would really caution people against going down the sort of freelance building you know cms type platforms um because i i think that that will it's it's a it's a very short term outlook a lot of times and you get stuck in this i would always tell people stay the hell away from freelance uh stuff like this because you will end up just by the nature of of the business dealing with sort of tighter budgets with people and um even if you're charging a fair rate you know it doesn't matter sometimes there's people are just going to be haggling with you i mean i remember charging people $20 an hour and people are acting like i was i was shanking them down like it's just it was just a you know so um it's a stressful environment and so i would typically advise people to stay away from that if they can yeah it definitely you just it's not just about being able to deliver something it is a billing it's relationships things like that do you want to take a take one of from the list here yeah, I'm going to skip this next one because I hate these. How long should it take me to learn to code questions? I think they're toxic and I think I think they're I think they're stupid questions. I, I it's just like it's uh it's one of those things where it takes as long as it takes. Like how long does it take to achieve greatness? How long does it take to achieve, you know, learn a new skill? Um it's going to vary by individual and I, I don't even want to dive into it. It just annoys me. Um, but let's look at this. Uh, hey, like I'm an the, angular... I learned to code in three months. No, no, there's, there's, uh... you don't like that. You don't like the, like the YouTube videos where they learn to code in three months or two months or one month. It's, it's just the time aspect. Like what's it, you know, what, who, like, especially cause it's not even like I learned it. <laughs> I would be more okay with it if they actually said an amount of hours associated with it. Like I spent, you know, I tracked my hours and I spent 975 hours over X amount of days to learn to code. But when you say I learned to code in three months, the amount of studying one person does in three months versus another person does in three months, it, it, it can completely vary. If you're doing two hours a day versus four or eight or six, and you're doing every day versus every other, it's just a, it's a, it's a flawed question that there's not really too much data on it. And it's yep. uh, part of it is because this stupid perpetuation of like throwing these, you know, you see so much of this clickbait ass shit out there on the internet. Uh, let's see here. I'm an Angular developer looking to create a static uh, website for my CV. What is a recommended way of doing static pages these days? Um, adding imports, etc. Um, I'm just so used to using npm today, so I haven't kept up to date with imports, etc. Uh, this is a type of question, in my opinion, that showcases a lazy developer. This is not someone something you should ask. Like this is a Google search question, and there are you know. If you want to see how imports are done, and maybe I'm being harsh, tell me, maybe maybe I'm just not being understanding. But I I um I think that when you're going out and asking questions on forums and things like that, if you haven't Google searched something, then you are you sort of miss. It. There's a step before you start asking others. You ask the internet, 
And the, this is something there's definitely an answer to. Yeah, yeah, it definitely you could find a few places. I know for Angular, there's something called Scully that allows you to create. And I think you've used it before, not Scully, but I think if you use the PWA extension in Angular, you can statically generate your site, right? Uh, I or mean, Angular Universal. Well, Dance. so <laughs> Angular Universal is the um, the server side rendered stuff. Um, I don't know if that's what he's getting at. I think he just means a non dynamic website when people say something like um, the Jam Stack, right? Which is the meme stack, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, well, what so, do you think of the Jam Stack? In fairness. In fairness, I haven't given it that much thought, um, but I I think I think it's just if if it's if it's what I understand it to be, which is just hey, here's a static website, and like doesn't have any functionality really. It's just a simple, it's a simplistic sort of thing. Um, I just think someone wanted to make an acronym, and I don't know that it's going to be like I, it. I, have you have you do you of all the developers you know? How many of them have worked with the Jamstack? I don't know anybody. Like, so I think this is just something that is like people talk about, but doesn't exist. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's it feels like some companies are starting to talk about this. Like, you know, we have these really kind of bloated apps out there in production that have big bundle sizes, and they're using React or Angular or Vue, and people hear about Jamstack and and using static websites and uh, you know, it, it it feels like it's a little bit of a meme. I I definitely feel like I, I'm I'm probably a, a truer believer than you. I think this. I think people are always going to want faster sites, and we're going to find out that this Jamstack has some. It's 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 good to go. It's it's it'll be. Let me rephrase that. It'll be something that more and more people will start using in the future, and it'll become an acronym that's more widely known. All right, so let's move on. I'll read the next question. Okay, this is a long one. Hi, everyone. I've been learning HTML, CSS, and JavaScript for the last uh, few months, thanks to a couple of Colt Steele's web courses on Udemy. Today, I've just lost my job. was working as a brewer in a small brewery that didn't survive the COVID situation, and I would like to take this as an opportunity to start a career as a programmer. Now I feel I'm nowhere near ready to work professionally in this field, but I've got one more month of furlough where I can dedicate 100% of my time to study and I can possibly survive a couple of extra months without income before going back to work. What are the chances of finding a job as a developer at this stage, even if it has, even if it's some sort of stage slash apprenticeship, where can I start gaining professional experience while I get trained? Yeah, go for it. I, you know what, man, I, I, I don't know if I'm in a mood or like, I just, <laughs> this is a flawed question because this is a mentality question. Is it, you're either in it or you're not. And that's what I, that's what I think, I think people need to get, wrap their minds around is like, if you want to go and become a software engineer, you have to be on a crusade. Like you have to be like, it doesn't matter how long it takes because I'm going to do it. Um, and I think. You can't put percentages on these things or like, what are the odds? Like, because I, I, without all the context, it's hard anyhow. But you either want it and are going to do it or you're not going to do it. 
you gotta you gotta have that sort of um what's that the the yoda yoda saying it's um do or do there not is, there's no try yeah the, exactly and i think you i don't think you can sort of just get your toes wet with software um and try to land a role like i i, I think especially as a self-taught like even when you do a non-self-taught you're dedicating four years to something that's related and 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 the and skills and programming i don't think that i think you just have to be like this is what i'm doing and it takes as long as it takes but th this is what i'm doing um and so i think i think there needs to be a mentality shift with whoever asked this question so the chances sound pretty slim yeah it it you just have to do it or not do it and if you're sort of just saying hey i'm gonna I'm just going to see if this whole software engineer thing works out and I'm going to half-ass it. It's not going to work out. You can't half-ass this. Like, people don't just hire you because you're like, oh, yeah, I did some Code Academy courses. Like, you have to go, you have to do X, Y, and Z, build things, try things. Like, you, it's a it's an unhealthy amount of dedication you have to do to break into the industry. Um, but, you know, you can pull that back once you land that first role. But you really just have to, you know dedicate yourself completely and it says here that you know dedicating 100 percent of his time um but i you know i it doesn't i the fact that there's even a question in this bothers me because it shouldn't matter you're gonna do it or not like you're like hey i'm doing this i don't know like my mentality when i was in that position was like i don't know when i'm gonna get hired but i'm going to get hired and i'm just gonna keep moving forward and I, I really think you have to have that mentality. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm on the same page with that. With the industry we're in, and with so many uh, new developers flooding the market every day, you know, there's boot camps that are cranking out new gra new graduates. There's self-taught developers that are trying to get into this industry. Everybody knows that it pays pretty well. And there's definitely CS people coming out every day too. So you are in a tight spot. And with COVID and everything, we've definitely recovered a lot since last year. But I keep seeing stories of even new CS grads having to wait months and months, putting in many, many applications before landing that first job and failing interviews. So you have picked the hard road in life going with the self-taught and only giving yourself, it sounds like, only a couple of months since you've gotten furloughed to learn web dev. And so now you are in the, uh, you're playing on hard mode. So this is going to be really tough. And you, there's definitely lots of tips and tricks, but I think it starts with what Dylan said is your mentality. You're going to have to dedicate all your time and effort to get this in. You're going to have to probably have to get a couple of lucky breaks, especially if you're looking for uh, looking to work somewhere. I mean, he does say he's looking to maybe do an apprenticeship somewhere, or maybe I'm thinking maybe I haven't really heard that word in our industry too much. I think internship is more prevalent. Uh, even then, I think you're probably going to have a hard time getting an internship anywhere. Uh, but you will, if you keep eventually, if you keep applying, you keep talking to the right people, someone will give you a chance. And then that is when you're gonna have to work even harder to show that you are a good employee and that you should be kept. And then you can get in some experience because that's what you really need. You need to get that one, two, three years of experience and then 
things in the job market will become much easier as long as you keep growing and, and becoming better and, and working hard. You know what I would prefer this question to be? Because like, you know, we're taking one paragraph and like, you know, saying like, hey, this is who, who knows what's in this guy said. What this question should be is what type of job would you recommend I have where I can scrape by and still study development as much as I can to go land that development role, right? Like you're giving yourself a few months time to succeed here. I would rather have the average person look at it as an 18 month to 24 month thing that we're working at every day. And if you do that and you work at it every day, there's no doubt in my mind, you should get hired way before two years. Now you may not go and make six figures your first job, but for, for him, I would say the better thing, if this is something you enjoy, this is something that you could see yourself doing on a daily basis and doing a career in and starting your career is don't worry too much about like, Hey, how do I get, how do I get hired in the next, as a, a you know, intern in the next 30 days, 60 days instead say, I'm going to study nonstop. Now, what type of jobs can I put the least amount of effort in to make enough money to scrape by while I'm trying to go through this transition? I've been watching a TV show. I don't know if you heard of this, Dylan, called Undercover Billionaire. And it's basically, they put this guy, like they, they've had two seasons now, so they have different entrepreneurs. But they'll have like this billionaire, and they'll throw him in the middle of nowhere with just $100. And his goal is within three months to build a million-dollar business. And I watched the first season. It was actually pretty crazy. Like the guy was selling like flipping houses, selling cars, like, you know, volunteering, working manual labor jobs to make money. And he kept on doubling his money. It was pretty crazy what he was able to do. I think <laughs> I, I, my crazy head's thinking about this. Wouldn't it be cool to like follow someone for 90 days, become a developer in 90 days with no skills, you know, out of high school, no degrees and see if someone can do it. I, Hollywood come knocking. I got this idea. I'll make it happen. I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody's watching that. <laughs> if you know anybody, if you know a producer, Just strap a, a GoPro to a coding boot camp, uh, like, <laughs> or if someone's listening right now and you've heard of that in the past, let me know. I'd, that'd be cool. There was, I don't know if there's any coding TV shows. Maybe it's just me. That'd be fun. All right. Well, it's yeah, robot, pick another right? one, Dylan. I think this is a good one. Hi, folks. I have about eight years of experience. Been without a job for about three or four months due to company closure. Had no problems getting interviews, but struggling with clearing on sites. Got three offers with companies that don't resonate with me in terms of a mission and contribution to the world. In fact, the top paying one is somewhat controversial. Think gig economy. I need some reassurance or motivation to keep my job search going. I'm interviewing with a couple of companies that have missions that re resonate with me in the mental health and life sciences research i have no deadlines yet but i'm definitely i'm definitely keeping companies waiting definitely kept companies waiting for nearly two weeks already can anyone share any motivation or reassurances um so this might be something that doesn't resonate with a lot of our listeners there's someone with eight years experience and has options got multiple offers um and uh i think this is more of a and, and clearly doesn't need the money uh, cause like you, if you get multiple offers and you're saying it's not the type of organization I want to work for, and you've taken three or four months off, like most people can't go three or four months off without a job. Uh, they're, you know, they're living paycheck to paycheck. Um, but I think it's also important to ask, answer some of these. 
larger senior dev type questions. And I think in this individual's perspective, um, as far as on sites go, I'm not too worried about that because he's getting offers. Um, you know, you can prep if you're failing on sites uh, and it's not technical, you're failing the, um, the sort of personality aspect of it. And you just need to focus on your communication skills and do some basic stuff. And that, that will come in time. If you just actually focus on it, like any other skill here, I would actually say that I think there needs to be a mentality shift of, okay, you have a very specific area you want to go to and you're losing motivation or reassurances. Why, why are you losing motivation when you're getting offers, right? Like what is, are you unhappy with working as an engineer? And I think that might be the larger problem here is sometimes you limit your choices. I don't think it's just, oh, hey, I want to work in this space. I think there's other things at play here where maybe you just don't want to work as an engineer anymore and it's time to go into management because uh, you've had a breather and it's the idea that you are sort of niching down the fields and you've had good offers by the sound of it. Um, it might be time for a slight change in direction. That would be something I would consider more heavily than what type of company I want to work at. This is a very millennial thing to say. I don't resonate with the mission statement and, <laughs> and it doesn't talk to me. I, I don't know. I guess I'm just old. I'm like, I understand being at a company that you enjoy being with and you, and you like them, but I just, I don't know. I, I figure that unless the, if you're doing hard work and they're good people and it's not in something that you know you're against, I think it's fine to to do it. But I guess, of course, being a senior dev, you have a mo more choices. And I I think when he says he failed three on sites, like those are rookie numbers, right? Like that's okay. Like people, <laughs> like I think a lot of new developers who probably are listening or have only been in the industry a couple of times, they failed way more than three on sites. Like those are not that's nothing or at least three tech phone screens, I guess would be more apt. They probably failed dozens of phone screens at this point. I think all of us go through that at some point in our careers. Yeah, I think you honed in on something about the motivation to keep this the job search going. If you're getting if you're getting offers, but you're still like, well, I didn't get the perfect job, you know, maybe yeah, maybe you need to take a step back and think. Um I would if I was this person, I would, and you already have a job that you like, maybe you don't take the ones you don't like and you don't settle for something that you, that you don't resonate with. So maybe you can just keep going and, and keep trying. And maybe like Dylan said, maybe a management positions more and enroll more in your, in line with what you want to do. I just want to say like, I, I think one thing that may help him is just take a role. See if you like it. Like you may think you don't like it. There's plenty of things that you go and think you're going to hate. And then over time, you're like, oh, actually, this is much more. You, you might learn something about yourself. And if you you don't have to stay at your next job, you can go take a job, see if it works out and jump in six months. You'll get a job. Yeah. But a senior dev, it's hard, though. It's definitely hard moving jobs. Let me go to the next question. I've received out. Oh. I've recently finished my portfolio, cleaned up my CV, and applied to about 40 companies last week. Got my first two interviews lined up for junior positions. Kind of nervous. Any tips 
slash absolutely don't you can share. Would love to get my first gig in the industry and any help is very much appreciated. Thanks. I don't know, Dylan, you're, you're on a roll. Let's see what else you think here. Um, uh, so it, it's so hard to give such general advice. I think the first thing is uh, to, for the most part, try and present yourself in such a way that you are a software engineer that just doesn't have resume experience. Um, and if there are some higher level things you haven't learned yet, but that you're aware of that an organization is going towards in that direction, um, it's much easier for, you know, you may have never done test driven development, but I like to say things that I'm going to do, uh, and that, or that I'm in the process of doing with the caveat that I'm in the process of doing them, that they'll be like, oh, he's already interested in agile. He's already interested in Scrum in test-driven development. And this works also when you're transitioning from maybe a smaller company to a larger company that has more standard processes and procedures you haven't been experienced to. Uh, the other thing I would say is focus on um, the personal skills. Sometimes uh, if you're nervous in interviewing, you're, you know, the eye hand, uh, you know, shake their hands, eye, eye contact, be able to speak clearly. And, you know, it's okay to be nervous, but really I, I've done enough interviews where it's super hard sometimes when the candidate is just shutting down and you can't get a good feel for who they are. I would rather have a candidate over communicate than under communicate. Um, and sometimes people are afraid of saying the wrong things. I would more so say, Hey, just, you know, be yourself. And, um, you know, if you're a good person, <laughs> uh, but, um, as far as the technical prep, that's something that you should already know, you know, study, do all that sort of stuff. But that'd be my advice. I have another one. And this happened to me a while back. I interviewed someone and they said, I created a cheat sheet that I'm going to use and and uh, so if you ask me some technical questions, I might be looking at, at the sheet. And I said, oh, you know, it's okay. That That's fine. You, you know, you add a couple of things in. I, I was fine with it. And then during the interview, he would literally spend like 20, 30 seconds looking things up. It's like, oh, hold on a second. And like <laughs> seconds would pass by and it was like really awkward. I'm like, and then he would recite exactly what he saw on his cheat sheet. Like, oh, and the, uh, the algorithm. And uh, you do a int C here equals 12. I was like, this is weird. Like, so don't do that. <laughs> it's okay. I would say it's okay to like prepare. Maybe if you have to, you know, do, do, do something like that. But don't, don't like awkwardly like have to look through your notes anytime someone asks you a question. No, there's, there's no notes in an interview. Get, <laughs> I did. I had the same thing. Except the guy tried to play it off. Like he wasn't straight up Googling. It's like, it's like, yo, man, like you've turned off your video and like I hear the clack, clack, clack. Like what? Uh, <laughs> and you're, you know, I'm asking you questions and you're answering them like you just Googled the first thing off of, you know, that came up. No, that's not, not, not a good look. Yeah. Uh, you want to take one? Yeah. Yeah. Here's, here's a question that I think people are too worried about. Um, good old ageism question uh is 30 years old too old to get into fang i'm not asking about interviews i may very well get rejected just asking that the good reason to join those companies i.e money living in a tech hub does it still apply when you're 30 i mean i'm 33 <laughs> so like, you know i got hired um 
I would say that I think um, <laughs> I think uh, typically you're going to have a younger individual at some of these companies because um, they are in tech hubs and like it's a very like tightly compact cities that are tech hubs. I think naturally younger individuals are going to be attracted to. Um, and I also think our field is growing, which will lead the age to be younger. But I, I don't think this is something you should worry about. I think this is something that is a, um, I don't want to say ageism is made a problem or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it goes back to the mentality of worry about prepping for the interview. Don't worry about this bullshit. Worry about like going and landing the role. Don't worry about something that's out of your control, right? Control the controllable. I like that. You know, I've been looking on Twitter for a while. I've been on Twitter for a while and there's just every now and then just this amazing thoughtful tweet comes through and I'll, I'll look at their or his or her profile and they're just amazing. Just lots of insights, really good. Uh, they have a really good website and portfolio and I'm like, wow, this person's probably been doing this for a long time. And then I look up their, their LinkedIn and I've seen they've only been working as a developer for a few years or like a couple years or maybe five, you know, three or four years. And I'm like, wow, you know, so there's a lot and these people are, are, you know, younger. So there's so many just amazing young developers out there. And I, I really think that, that you shouldn't worry about this when you interview because yes, there is amazing young developers, but there's a lot of us gray haired people. I'm not, I don't consider myself gray haired, but, but there's a lot of us people that have been in this industry, um, been programming for a while. And uh, we still have lots of, there's lots of opportunities for us too. And, and it doesn't matter if you started when you're 25 or 30 or 35 or 40, as um, long as you can get the skills and show what you know, what you can do. I think anyone can join in this industry at any time. And you are going to face more hurdles, older you are, but I think 30 is still pretty young. Um, I think people like in your, when you're 20, you're like, Oh my God, my life's over when I'm 30, but it's not true. <laughs> yeah. I th I, there's plenty of people starting to learn to program or starting to get into their fang companies in thirties and forties. And that's fine. All right, let's, uh, okay. So I think I have another one here. I kind of feel disinterested and let me see if, okay, let me go to another one. How often should you in how often should i interview at other places i'm a junior dev but very happy in my company plus getting to learn a lot and have great mentorship i heard some people in the industry interview yearly just to keep doors open is that an advice recommended for juniors too i think you need to so after you you know if this is your first junior level job um i think you should be interviewing after six months um uh, as far as growing, you know, cause you're not getting a job right away. You might not get a job for another six months. That's going to give you a substantial pay bump or be at a larger, better organization. That's going to mentor you more. So, um, I really think that I I've, and you know, I sort of trying, I give advice based off what I would do or what I've done. And as somebody who in about four and a half years has had four or five jobs, um, I can tell you that part of progressing your skill and part of going is going and being experienced at different locations and picking up the good here, the good there, the good there. And then when you go and, you know, eventually land at a role, 
um, you go and you bring more things to the table. That's my mentality. And that's worked for me. And that's, that's what I would tell most junior engineers until you're at a senior level. I don't care if you're happy at your company. I want you to get your pay up. I want you to get your skill up and then go find a company that's going to make you well compensated and is going to, you're going to be happy at. And I don't think you need to worry about that at junior level. I think you need to go and accomplish those two things first. I think I slightly disagree on the time frame. I think you just said six months. I would say, unless you were in a tox environment, but if you like the job you're in and you're a junior dev, I don't see any reason not to stay there for a couple of years. It just, when you start, stop growing. When you, when you feel like you can't, you're not learning anything, when you're not, uh, when like career opportunities are lacking or you find out that, you know, getting raises is pretty difficult maybe then it's time to go. I don't necessarily say you have to stay there forever, but I don't see if, you know, if you're happy your job and you're learning things and you've been there for a couple of years and you're happy with the pay and they're giving you your pay, pay increases. I mean, do you think Dylan, that's still a reason you'd still should. Leave? I mean, I've seen so many studies saying that to get your income up the fastest is by jumping jobs rather than staying like that's, that's something that has been statistically proven. I also think that you gain, if you're going to the same, if you look at this as like um, a book, right? Our work is a book of knowledge and I'm reading the same book for a year, uh, you know, or I could do the same book for four years or three years, or I could go to three or four places, make more money, statistically speaking, and learn about different processes and different ways of doing things. Not everything's going to be better. But certain things are, I would think, and I think I think long term that's going to be better for most people's careers because I think they're going to be exposed to more and they're going to learn more and they're going to make more money. And um, I think that's probably the best route. Um, at, le at least that's my stance on it. Here, here. So yeah, it's uh, how much risk you want to tolerate and how fast you want to improve your career. Dylan, you want to take one? I think we do a couple more. You want to take one? Yeah, let's see here. Uh, let's see. Um, I've inherited a code base that's passed through multiple developers th for years and had no code review slash architecture process. The, the developers got stuff to work, <laughs> but it's a mess with methods that are hundreds of lines long and buggy. How do you approach comprehending the meaning of what the developer was trying to do? I have a habit of trying to refactor the code as I read it, which is costly and time consuming. Um, I mean, the, the last part, costly and time consuming, is I think the, this is the very nature of what you're dealing with. It's going to be costly and time consuming, and to avoid that is almost impossible. So typically what I would do is I would start adding testing into the application um, and I would write tests uh, before I refactor it. Um, that way, as I go and I break functionality, I do my best to understand the functionality. Um, it's not going to be perfect. Without a doubt, you're going to break things. But I'd write tests as I go and start refactoring pieces of the application. And uh, that way, as I do refactor it, I can keep track of it. And if you are working with other team members, uh, I'd start those code review processes. I would start adding some... Uh, some as much automation as I can add, such as a spell check, as linting, as the testing, um, code reviews, like um, down to the commit messages. 
really try to automate all the things that I can, but uh, the testing is going to be crucial in this. I would also approach this by looking at the code and trying to think back of what the original intent of some of it was. If there's no documentation and no nothing else with it, that's going to be a little bit more difficult. Uh, but I would also um, try to take, I think the best way of comprehending it and understanding it would be to work on new tickets. <laughs> Once you get assigned new work, you're going to have to go into those deep and dark places in the code that no one understands and you're going to have to try to understand it. And that's a good motivator to try to understand and to try to comprehend what the developer was trying to do. I, I think you also, when you start a, a new job, you're going to have to spend some time with the code base and just try to understand it. And, you know, a good way of doing that, like Dylan said, is write tests, things like that, refactors. But it could just be, I don't know, I'm old school. Oops, sorry about that. I'm old school. I sometimes just print code out on a printer. I don't know if people still do that, but I'll sometimes get, I'll copy and paste parts of code that I don't understand and I'll print it out on a piece of paper and I'll just study it, um, highlight different pieces of it to try to figure out what it's doing. If it's very kind of spaghetti and you have lots of different parts, I try to write down on a, a different, like a text editor. I'll write down like a method name and then I'll write down another method name and I'll write down another to try to trace where everything's going. And that way I can go back to the previous bit of code. Especially I've worked in Java apps where you have just so many objects, so many classes that are calling other classes that are interfaces of other classes. It just becomes really difficult to understand uh, if you can get any UML diagrams or autom tools that automate it and kind of show it in a bigger picture. I've seen that work in the past too where you can like create basically a, a diagram of all the inheritance models of all the different classes and all the different places that they're at. Um, so those are a few th ways that I would say would help. I guess we'll do one more. Oh, I th this is a good one. How often do you use third-party recruiters either responding to their messages or proactively reaching out when you're looking for a new job? So far, I haven't had l good luck. It felt like they had a few specific companies that really wanted to submit my resume to, even if it wasn't a particularly good fit. I could maybe see the use if if you wanted to get your resume in front of a lot of people quickly, but is that even really the goal? So I wonder if this means there's different, definitely different types of recruiters. There's recruiters that are hired by companies that are internal to them and they'll look for candidates all day. And then there's a lot of third party companies and they work directly with employers and they'll have a group of, of positions that they want to be filled and they'll reach out to a, a ton of people. And that's probably why a lot of people don't like recruiters and they get a lot of recruiter spam in their LinkedIn inboxes. But this kind of mentioned something like I reached out to a few specific companies to submit my resume to. And that's kind of a different thing. I've heard some recruiters doing that, but you have to pay them a little bit of money. And then they'll like basically look for jobs on your behalf. Uh, so you may want to double check to see which companies you're contacting and submitting your resume to, I guess these contractor recruiter companies, I should say, and see if they're the ones that will actually try to 
go out on your behalf to try to find you a job or if they're just going to look at the clients that they already have and see if your job fits with any of them. So I guess it depends on the motivations of the recruiter. If I let's say the last part of the question, I could maybe see this use if you wanted to get your resume in front of a lot of people quickly, but is this, but is this even really the goal? You know, I, I think depending on what part of your career you're in, if you're just trying to get your foot in the door somewhere, yes, for sure. Like that would be the goal. If you can talk to a bunch of different recruiters, give them your resume, they'll, I would pretty much take any job you can. But if you're later in your career, you probably want to be a lot more, a uh, little bit more critical. What do you think, Dylan? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't pay a recruiter a dime to get me a job. <laughs> um, but uh, I have, you know, I do get, God, probably 15 invites or 20 invites a week easily from recruiters. And I typically approve them because when I need them, uh, I got laid off two years ago. And what I did was I simply said, hey, I'm on the market. And then three weeks later, I had a job. Uh, and so... Um, I utilize them, but I, uh, you have to remember recruiters are salespeople really at the end of the day, because, uh, you know, most of them work off commission. The ones that I, I enjoy working with the most are the direct hire ones. The ones who work for the company where they're like, yo, I can't just hire some idiot. It's going to make me look bad. Right. Like, and that are salaried, uh, typically. Um, so, uh, as far as third-party recruiters, most of the time it's been my experience that they're, they're going to be looking for roles that I'm not very much interested in contract contract to hire um, the sort of those types of roles. Um, but I, you know, I always take it with a grain of salt. I wouldn't be reaching out to any of them directly though. But what happens if you're new and you're not getting that recruiter spam that a lot of other people are getting? So how do you get, was it okay not to just talk to a few recruiters or if you can find them or cold call them or I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, I think you're, I think it's uh there's better use of your time. I think a better use of your time is just applying. Um, and you know, you can go on LinkedIn, just start messaging people left and right if you want. Right. Um, uh, but I think instead of doing that, why don't you just apply for a ton of jobs? Yeah. Eventually one of them will work out. Or if you can get some referral, like I would start with the referrals first. You know, use your network. You know, even if you have one aunt or uncle's cousin's brother that works for a company that might be interested in a software developer, I mean, that's one connection. That's a couple of degrees away, but that's better than just cold calling on or just cold submitting your resume to their website. I it, I have not been in this, have had to do this in a while, but I guess there is a whole bunch of of automatic computer systems that when you apply on a lot of these job sites, they'll scan your resume for keywords and they'll automatically drop you if you don't hit, hit certain keywords. And then there's a whole bunch of, of ways people are keyword stuffing their resumes or their whatever they have to submit just to get past these, uh, these, these uh, automatic systems. I don't know. I was just reading about that the other day. Have you heard of that? I've heard of it. I think it's all bullshit, though. <laughs> I think I think this is I think it's overblown. I um, you know, and also, I think if you're stuffing your app to get through that, you're going one to a shitty company. Uh, two, there you're not going to move forward if you just throw random keywords on your. You know, like for instance, I don't. 
I don't typically work in the jam stack, right? So like if I jam stack, I get a job in the jam stack, they're probably not going to be very interested in me if they choose to move forward. So I, I don't, I, and then you're wasting your time. So I would rather have you put relevant things that you're actually going to go and be interviewed with. And people are going to be like, Hey, this is someone who's actually, we're actually going to give a job to rather than just get some attention for no reason. I want there to be a peanut butter stack and then the peanut butter stack will be against the jam stack. People will be like, what? That'd be crazy. You know, actually there was a, a, (laughs) I I, I I saw online. DHP elixir. Uh, I saw online that I don't know. I don't remember if it was a conference by Netlify or one of these companies that really like the jam stack, but they used to give actual jars of jam during the conference away as a part of your like swag bag that you get, you know, all conferences give you a bag of stuff when you get there. And that was part of it. And I thought that was kind of clever. All right. Well, that's, that's it. Any uh, parting words? No, till next time on this episode of Dragon Ball Z. (laughs) Later. Hey guys, thanks for watching. If you want to find more about what I'm up to, go to dylanisrael.com. And if you want to know what I'm up to, you can check out my website at eric.video. If you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us out. And if you do, you might even be featured on our next episode. Don't forget to check out the website at selftaughtornot.com. From there, you can sign up for a mailing list where we give away free courses and a bunch of cool stuff. And we'll also let you know when the next episode comes out. And finally, if you didn't know, we have a Facebook group. It's called Code Tech and Caffeine. We have over 10,000 members and you can find the link at selftaughtornot.com. So come join us. We have tons of developers willing to help you guys, mentor you guys. Check it out. Just make sure you go to selftaughtornot.com and check out the Code Tech and Caffeine link. Thanks and take care.